Hey everybody, glad that you're here. Want to welcome you again to North Point. Uh, just as Kim said, uh, we're so excited that uh, you've joined us to worship today. Hey, before we begin this morning and we dig into God's word and uh, we study a little bit together, I, uh, I just love to lead us in a prayer. We all know the craziness that has happened in our country. We know that the craziness that we have been in for, uh, my goodness, just a little under a year with the COVID pandemic. Uh, we know uh, what a struggle it's been for us, not just for those that have suffered, lost loved ones who are battling uh, this particular virus, but in addition to the business owners, in addition to uh, the employees, the employers that are suffering as a result of this. And so all the way around, uh, our climate has been, well, it's just been stressful to say the least. And so I'd love just to, as we've done from time to time, just to lead us in a prayer because this is the time that Christians put their faith in God. This is where our faith gets tested, our trust gets tested, and we pray and we call on God and we do battle where the battle is done. Scripture says that's the heavenlies. That's, in, 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 that's spiritual warfare. And so let's just pray together. Would you join me right where you are in your living rooms, right in front of your computer, your phone, whatever, and let's just pray. Jesus, uh, wherever we are meeting from house to house, as the scripture says Christians do at the very beginning, in antiquity, in the first century, we're meeting right now house to house. But Lord, our prayers are corporate and unified and Father, we're calling on you and just asking you that you would, uh, first, I just want to speak to the tensions among people right now. We pray that you'd bring reconciliation. We pray, Jesus, that you would heal uh, hurting hearts, that you would heal angry hearts, that you would heal worried hearts. And we pray, Jesus, that you would make yourself known. Lord, when these times happen, they also serve as a warning to us that we need to be people that turn to you, that we need to repent of our own sin, and we need to walk closely with you. So, Father, we do that. And, Lord, we ask that people all over our country would do that. Um, related to these political tensions and these things that are happening, we want to have the mind of Christ, and we want to act in a godly way. So help us to do that, empower us to do that. I pray for every person listening that you would empower them and bless their family. Father, I pray for those that have suffered this last year going through this uh, pandemic, just asking that you would pr provide for them, that you would do miracles, that Jesus, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see miracle after miracle after miracle of your provision to provide for their needs. Lord, there are some that have lost jobs. There are some that are struggling. There are employers that are struggling. God, would you just do your work? Your word says you are Jehovah Jireh. You're our provider. Father, we pray for people who are weary and are struggling emotionally. We ask that you'd minister to them. We pray for uh, this uh, seminar that's coming up, raising kids during a pandemic and the mental health issues that this time has brought to us. We ask that, Father, that you just do your work. You're not only Jehovah Jireh, you're Jehovah Rapha. You're our healer. So we ask, God, that you'd make yourself so known in people's lives. God, again, we turn to you. We ask, God, that this would be a time that people would uh, come to know you. Through our needs, through our lack, we realize a need for you. So, God, would you help people to come to know you in this time? 
God, we praise you and we give you thanks for how good you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thanks for taking the time to uh, pray with me on that. And I just ask you to keep praying and keep calling on God. Maybe you're not in the habit of, of having regular times with God, regular prayer times, regular time in scripture. I would just encourage you to do that, to take time with Jesus daily. In fact, we've been talking uh, for the last month about Bible reading plans and prayer journals that we have available. Make sure that you get your hands on those, that you're spending time regularly with Jesus. We're going to talk more about that as we go, but... This month, we have been in a series that we've called The Real Deal. And if you remember, we're going through some concepts that you're going to find in 1 Peter. And we're pulling, in the first couple of weeks, we're pulling from the same passage. But we're really going to be looking at the first, probably the second chapter and third chapter of 1 Peter all month long. And we'll be even pulling from others as well. But basically, what Peter is doing in his letter is he's, being, he's telling us how Christians are to live in a world that is cynical or in a world that's skeptical. Peter lived in a world, the first century church lived in a world that was more and more irreligious. And so what Peter is doing, he's trying to teach people, how do you live in a world that's irreligious? Because I will tell you, that is our culture today. That describes where America has really gone in, in many, many different ways. I think of, for example, an article that was put out by Time Magazine, for example. You'll see it here. Regular Christians are no longer welcome in American culture. Now, that was put out about a few years ago. I want to say right around 2017. But in the article, it details some experiences that are happening across the nation. In fact, I've pulled it up here, but so that you know, this is really, it also highlights a book that talks about uh, how it's dangerous to believe today. And in it, it talks about all sorts of things. For example, it talks about a coach, uh, or it talks about a teacher, excuse me, you'll see his picture coming up here in this article, who was... um, who was dismissed because uh, he gave a student a Bible in school who was curious about spiritual things, and so he was fired and let go. The article talks about a coach, who you'll see their picture coming up, who, um, who was uh, ultimately banned and, and dismissed because uh, he led on the field in a prayer uh, before the big game. It talks about others. Take a look at this person in the article. And this, is, this has all been happening recently. It talks about a fire chief who was um, a fire chief who, because he wrote a self-published book on defending Christian morality, he was fired from his position as being the fire chief. Um, this is all just in very recent years. It talks about this uh, veteran that you can see coming up here in a picture who, because she had a A scripture verse on her desk, uh, she was uh, dishonorably discharged from military service. And of course, uh, the article just goes through and talks about increasingly uh, people that are calling Christians uh, bigots and uh, the picketing that is going on. And and you see these pictures coming up of people that are just very anti-Christian and very anti-Christ. Now guys, this does reflect, it does reflect a growing movement in America. And Peter, in the Bible, has been talking about these things. He's talking about 
How do we live the life that Jesus has called us to live in a culture that is anti-God? that is anti-Christian. And he uses, if you remember, last week we talked about three images. Um, He talks about a spiritual temple, that we need to be a spiritual temple, meaning that we are the place where the Holy Spirit lives and therefore we are the place where people have access to God. He says, we talked about last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He says that we are to be a royal priesthood, meaning we have an access to God in a way that others don't. And we reflect something of his image and what did priests do? Priests praise and pray and they worship and priests take care of people. And Peter says, so should you. You should be God's representatives. And then he says, you're his chosen people. And by chosen people, he has some specific things in mind. But make no mistake, Peter says there's a cost to all of this. In fact, let me jump to chapter four of 1 Peter and you'll see what it says here. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Isn't that interesting? We should expect this. We shouldn't be surprised by this if we're godly. In fact, Paul writes another letter to Timothy and he says categorically, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, you'll notice here, will be persecuted. But I want for you to see this. Now guys, there is a scripture Peter, as he's dealing with this, there is a scripture that's so insightful and so encouraging, you've got to see this. He says in chapter 2, verse 6, Peter, he says, the scriptures say, watch this, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in this cornerstone will never be disgraced. Now, that's a reference to Jesus. But now, this amazing promise here. It's incredible because he says the word disgraced, just notice it there, the word disgraced. Now, I like this word disgraced. It's an incredible promise because it's actually better in the King James Version because in the King James Version, it comes out as the word confounded because literally in the English, it's translated as confounded because here's what the word actually means. It means altogether that that for those that trust in Jesus, they're not gonna be embarrassed, they're not gonna be confused, and they're not gonna be disappointed. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be confounded. Because what this statement means is that it's possible to be in a condition in the world that regardless of the ups and the downs, regardless of people misunderstanding you, regardless of what actually happens to you, he says it's possible to have a disposition in which you're never caught off guard, you're never confused, you're never disappointed, And you never have to be embarrassed. Now, I'm not saying that the moment that you become a Christian, you automatically perceive all those things. 
but it is a tremendous promise that's out there. Now notice, going back to this promise and what Peter says, look at what he describes. He says, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now the builders are the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, the builders, out of them came the cornerstone who is the Christ. That's what this is referencing. And it says, now the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now now watch this. It says, and he is the stone that makes people stumble. He is the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But then he affirms, and this is what we looked at last week. Let's go on. He says, but you, if you're a Christian, he says, you're not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. This is what we've been reading. This is what Pastor Kyle read. And watch this, he says, so that you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into light. Now, guys, listen to me. Do you see what Peter's getting at? He's saying, if you're a part of the church, you're different. He's saying, if you're a part of the church, you're peculiar, and you're to be a peculiar people. He says, for you, the cornerstone is a promise. It's hope. It's wonderful. But for others, it's a stumbling block. Now, here's the question for today. How do you know which is true for you? Is Jesus a stumbling block for you? Or is Jesus hope? Is Jesus the stone that you trip over? Or is he your foundation? So, what I want to do is I just want to show through these few verses that have been read some great tests, four tests in fact, that will show you how you can tell. And it's really a kind of inventory that will help you just to figure this out. So we're going to look at these tests together. You ready? At home? Hopefully you've got your notes and pens. We're going to write these down. Here's the first test. The first test is what I'd call the internal test. Now just write that down. It's an internal test. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because the last couple of years we've talked about this a lot. But the internal test is that you've been through some kind of internal experience as a result of coming to faith in Christ. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter puts it this way. Notice up here, he says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, he says, new birth into a living hope. Now, just to underline, if you're taking notes, new birth. Because he's talking about an internal revolution that happens in your life. He's talking about a change when, when God does something on the inside. In fact, in verse 8, Peter says this. He he describes it and he says, "You, you come to believe in him, he says. And then he says, you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. In fact, when Peter goes on to describe this in the very first chapter, when he's talking about this internal test of what should have happened to you, he describes it like a seed We've talked about this before. And he says, here's what happens. Because you've been born again, look at this. Because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Now, what do seeds do? Seeds die 
and then seeds give birth to something new. In fact, if you know anything about agriculture, you know for a seed to give birth to something new, it has to die. Now in that way, Paul, this metaphor that, that Peter's using, it's kind of like baptism because that's what baptism is all about. When a person is baptized, they've had this internal sense that their old life has died. I'm buried with him in baptism. That's going under the water. But I'm being resurrected into a new kind of life. In other words, baptism is demonstrative of a change. And that's what happens when a person has really experienced the grace of Christ. They experience these things that, that, that Peter is talking about here. In fact, I saw these posts on Instagram and they were so appropriate. Here was one. Notice the person says, yeah, they, they write this great illustration. They said, one day Paul was killing Christians. The next day he was a Christian. Why? Because something happened. One day Peter was a fisherman. The next day he was a fisher of men. Don't judge someone based on that one day. God can create a whole world in six days. He can surely create a new heart in one day. And that's exactly what God does. Or take, uh, I saw that as I was looking at this post, I saw another post just come up and I thought it was so profound. Here was a woman who posted, one day I was a slave to drugs. But because Jesus did something in my heart, she says, the next day I was set free by Jesus. Why? Because God can change anybody. There is an internal experience, it's a seed that grows into something. Now, by the way, I just want to mention, if you're here and... Uh, You've experienced this kind of a change. I just ask you, what has Jesus done in your life? I really want to hear your story. I'd love to share your story with the church. All you have to do is tell me, here's where I was before, and here's where I am now because of what Jesus has done in my life. I'd love to share that. You can put it in writing. You can email me at pastorshane at northpoint.org, or you, you, know, you, could, you could just send it into the church through the website. However you get it to us, we want to get that. We want to get your stories because this is what Jesus does. But now take a look at this picture here, just again. This right here sort of leads to the next point. Because this internal test, this internal changes and all that happens. See, this right here, it leads somewhere. So if you just write this down, number two, there's what I'd call the public test. Now again, remember what we're answering. How do you know that Jesus is your cornerstone by which you build your life? Or, how, or, or is he the stone that you trip over? How do you know that? That's really kind of what we're dealing with here. Well, there's a public test. Internal test, public test. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, here's why. Here's why the public test is so important. It's because the internal test alone can fool you. In fact, I think it's possible to actually fool yourself. You know why? You see this in the Bible all over the place. A lot of people have emotional or transcendent experiences. But then that's where it ends. For example, there's this great section in the scripture. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you just look at it, it's coming up on the screen here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at what it says. Paul's writing to the church and he says, As a result, 
You, speaking to the church, have become an example to all the believers in Greece, throughout Macedonia and Achaia. He says, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere and beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people, he says, who have told us about you, of your faith in God. He says, we don't even need to tell them about it. They've already heard. He says, for they keep talking about this wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, do you see what Paul's getting at? He's speaking along the same lines of Peter and he says, people should be able to see the difference. You know, years ago, there was an old Puritan preacher and he, said, he, was, he was speaking to his church and he said, you say that you've had this great experience on the inside. He said, fine, but your horse will be one of the first ones to tell the difference. Now, you know what he's talking about. He says, people, even your horse, will see that you've become more compassionate He says, people will see that you've become a less irritable person. Why? Because a faith that is truly in here shows up out here. Friend, how can you tell the difference between a true Christian and a person that's just religious? This is how. Now you say, pastor, isn't that judgmental? Well, friend, I'm telling you, Jesus said, by your fruit, you know them. I'm not saying anything different than what Jesus did. It shows up. And by the way, this is why 1 Peter chapter 4 says it this way. Notice this scripture coming up right here. It says, if you suffer, now come on, we suffer increasingly if we're truly authentic, born again Christians. But notice what Peter says. He says, if you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or as a thief or as any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, he says, By the way, this is why I personally have such a problem with anybody that would claim to be a born-again Christian and be involved in the destructive, gross actions that happened at the nation's capital. Now, I want to say I'm aware that that was by far not the majority of the people. I've seen enough news to know that that these were extreme people. They didn't represent everybody. My goodness, my family has a friend that was there weeping because they said, this isn't my country. I can't believe this is happening. And whatever your position is, I'm just saying this. For anybody that was involved in that that says, I'm a born-again Christian, I'm gonna say, your fruit shows otherwise. And Peter says it here, if I'm gonna suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or any other kind of meddler. I think of people and how they've acted this last year because of a little bit of suffering. It says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That is a powerful thing. So there's an internal test There's a public test. How do you know? How do you know Jesus is your cornerstone? Write this down. This is a great thing to be talking about the first of the year. Write this down. There's what I'd call the conflict test. Write that down. The conflict test. You say, what do you mean? I mean that the effects of a change on your life always ends up, it always ends up creating conflict for other people. (laughs) In other words, There are people that are either very attracted to a change that's happened within you 
or they're very repelled. Let's go back to it again. Verse 12, it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, it says, now notice, it doesn't say, it doesn't say if they accuse you. It says, though they accuse you. It means they will try and find, there are some that are gonna try and find fault with you. There will be biases against you. On the other hand, it says, it goes on, some will see your good deeds and some will glorify God. You can see that in the scripture here. That's a huge thing because your deeds stand out. Because your deeds are so radiant. Because your deeds are so godly that they draw people in. Friend, is that you? Have you noticed people been looking at you either one way or the other? By the way, when we talk about deeds, that's why I'm excited. I'll be talking about this at the end of the message. But tomorrow night, we're going to have a ministry connect event online only. Uh, we have one coming up in the future that will be live in February. But we're going to do this online only where it's going to be an open chat to talk about deeds and how you can attract people to Jesus like a royal priest through de deeds. Now I'll talk about that and announce that at the end of the service. But you see my point. So let's just review for just a minute. What was the first test? The first test is you sense it, you experience it. It's probably been something emotional. It's probably been something transcendent, but you've noticed there's a change in your disposition. I'll never forget, by the way, uh, the conversion of Nathan Cole, one of my heroes, because he wrote it down in an account. It's fascinating. He, he was uh, listening to a sermon by George Whitfield way back in the day, but here's what he wrote. He said, and my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. You see, he came to experience God's grace. There's an internal thing and it's fascinating. But then here's the second test. It doesn't stay on the inside. It goes public. Somebody sees. Your horse sees. Your family member sees, your coworker sees, your wife sees, your husband sees. There's been a change in you. And that change leads to the third test that people are conflicted about it. People don't know what to make of the change in you. Maybe you're married and your wife doesn't know what to make of the change in you or your husband doesn't know what to make of the change in you. You've got brothers and sisters. You've got friends at work. I remember when that happened to me. I was 17 years old and everybody that I was hanging out with was saying, man, you're, you're acting weird. In fact, I had people that didn't want to hang out with me anymore because it, it has this polarizing effect. And friend, listen to me. Some people will definitely accuse you and other people will be drawn in and attracted to you. Now listen, I'm, I'm spending a minute on this test because before we go on to the fourth test, I want you to remember, this is exactly what happened with Jesus. In fact, it, it's fascinating to me that if you go to John's gospel in your Bible, you go to John 7, now I have it on the screen for you, but if you go to John 7, you're going to see what his brothers say, how his brothers, Jesus' own brothers respond to him. Look what it says. They said to Jesus, leave this place and go to Judea so that your disciples can see things that you're doing. No one does things secretly when he wants to be known publicly. If you do these things, he says. And it says, even his 
brothers didn't believe in him. What? They're just dismissing him. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to say, get out of here. See, Jesus was an enigma to people, and that's the way it is. And I'm telling you, to the degree that you're like Jesus, you'll actually become an enigma too. Now, just to illustrate this, let me press it just a little further. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is describing some differences between people who are actually in Christ and people who are not in Christ. And there is a curious verse here that you'll see here. It says, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, he says, have the mind of Christ. Now, friend, this verse, I never understood it for years until I came to realize. It's teaching that the gospel, that's what this is saying, it's teaching that the gospel actually enables you to understand things that are going around you, to judge them. You can now understand things that you couldn't make judgments on before. Why? Because now you understand the doctrine of sin. Because now you understand the doctrine of grace. Things that were once inexplicable to you, behavior, events, relationships, things that happen in the world, you couldn't explain them before, but now... The great thing about being a Christian is, what it's saying is, is that you can judge all things. You can look at it and say, I get it. It means they fit. Let me give you an example. If you're a Christian, you're not shocked by your suffering. <laughs> That's true. Why? Because Jesus suffered. And Jesus said, you should suffer. You understand that. And if you're a Christian, you also understand that God uses suffering to actually builds you. We talk, we've talked about that a lot throughout this last year. But anybody who says, well, life shouldn't be like this, and I shouldn't be going through this, or somebody who says this shouldn't be happening to me, or I don't deserve this. Listen, if you're destroyed or you're shattered by suffering, well, it could be that you don't have a spiritual worldview, that your point of view is not really being shaped by the gospel. Because the gospel accounts for life as it is. And you can't account for life as it is. But what does it say? See, it goes on. Let's just stick with this verse. It says, but he himself, the Christian, is judged by no one. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that people can't figure you out. It means Jesus was an enigma. You're an enigma because you have the mind of Christ. In other words, people, they're not going to be able to judge you. They don't understand why you are the way that you are. Look, friend, as you're watching today, can I, can I just put it to you this way? Is there anybody that's sort of scratching their head about you and the way you live? Is there anybody that's wondering about you? What drives this person? You're an enigma. What makes this person tick? See, if you're a Christian, that's normal. It's one of the signs. Let me just press this for a second before we go on to the fourth test and close with it. We've said people will accuse you. If you're a Christian, you will be persecuted. But remember what it says. You won't be persecuted for doing wrong. You remember 1 Peter chapter 4. 
Let's just throw this up on the screen again. It says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as somebody who does something wrong. Guys, as we've gone through COVID, as we've gone through persecution, as things have happened politically, if you've suffered, I hope it's not because you've done anything as a worldly person. But if you suffer, it's because you bear the name of Jesus. But you suffer for the same reason he did. By the way, I've, I've already said this in, in a few different ways, but in case you've not caught it, born-again Christians are really starting to realize what other minority groups, because let me just say, we are a minority group. We are. And Christians are starting to realize what other minority groups have, have experienced. I mean, go back to pop culture if you don't think we're a minority group. Just go back over the last 20 years and you can see it. People on TVs, sitcoms. Take a look at this picture right here. I just, I just ran a quick Google search. But the reality is Christians are always depicted as either nuts or bigots. Why? That's been for the last 30 years. Why? Well, we're experiencing the world's bias and judgment against Christians. By the way, when the world, when a secular person, a person who doesn't know Jesus, experiences bias, what does the world do? Well, the world gets nasty. If you're secular, you'll yell and you'll scream. If you're secular, you might loot and pillage. You might riot. You might get destructive and say, we're misunderstood. I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to ask you, Christian, what should be the difference between Christians and every other kind of minority? It's this. We need to be exceptional in our humility and in our love, just like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we don't care about justice. When Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, he was illegally slapped and he protested that. But here's what I am saying. The godly will always respond in godly ways. Why? Why? Why must you do that? Because look at what the scripture says again. If you'd go to this next scripture for me, just take a look at it here on this screen. Jesus said, remember the word I said to you, a servant, that's you, that's me, is not greater than his master. That's Jesus. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you we won't be surprised by it. And we're not above Jesus to act any differently than he did. How could we be surprised? But Peter says, this book that we're studying this month, what does he say? He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they would see your good deeds and they would glorify God on the day he visits. Guys, how in the world is the world going to understand the hope of Jesus if we react just like the world does? No. About Jesus' followers, Jesus says, it's his last prayer that he prays for his followers. He prays to God before he goes to the cross. And here's what he says. If you just put this next one up on the screen, Jesus prays and he says, no, God, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, it says, which is truth. We walk in truth, his truth, not ours, 
by the way, truth is not subjective. It's not what you want it to be. It's what he says it is. And then in verse 18, he immediately says, just as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Just the same way, just like Jesus. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus says, this is the reason I went to the cross. And why holy? Because in the end, people aren't gonna care about what you preach. They're gonna care about what you do. And he says, so I give myself as a holy sacrifice so they'd be a holy people. Guys, can I ask you something? You say that you're a Christian. Does it make you kinder? Have you noticed that you respond kindly to people? You say that you're a Christian. Does it make you kinder to people of other ethnic groups than you? Are you more open to conversation and dialogue? Does it make you kinder to those that have a different opinion than you politically? Does it make you kinder to those? Are you an enigma to people? Yes, you have an opinion, but you're filled with grace and love. Does it make you treat your enemies better? Who is your neighbor? Does it help you face trouble better? Okay, let me give you this last test, then we'll be done. How do you know Jesus is the cornerstone? The stone that sets the building of your life, that's what a cornerstone is. Or is he the stone you trip over? You ready? Here's the last test. There's what I'd call the fight test. That's the fourth test, the fight test. Now, verse 11 says this. It says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You know, I said this a few years ago, but uh, lots of years ago, there was a guy by the name of John White who wrote a book called The Fight. And it's one of the most well-known books that you'll see out there. In fact, I want to recommend you get this book because it's one of the best on living the Christian life. But I love the title of it, The Fight, because that really is what the Christian life is. But it's interesting because a much older book by a theologian by the name of J.C. Ryle, he had a chapter in his book, Holiness, that was called The Fight. And it's this incredible quote that I want you to see. He says, a true Christian is one who is not only peace of conscience, but a war within. He may be known by his warfare as well as by his peace. See, for the Christian, it's not that we don't fight It's just that we wage a different kind of warfare. In fact, Paul would put it this way. He would say, fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? It's an internal battle. It's not external. It's not against flesh and blood. Fight the fight, that battle within you that is causing you to not trust God anymore. Fight the fight of faith. Stop taking measures into your own hands. Trust God with what you want. Fight the good fight of your faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but he's talking about, again, this internal battle that happens the moment you become a Christian. In fact, even though I don't have time, let me just lay it out to you this way. If we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, which is where we've been living, where we're going to live over the next few weeks, He says something. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from, what is it there? 
sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, this is an interesting thing because this phrase here, sinful desires, it actually comes from the Greek word, you'll see it here, epithemia, and it actually means over-desires. It's not translated sinful desire. In fact, this is interesting for you. In every English translation that you read this, you're gonna see that the scholars that translated it put in sinful desires. But I'm gonna tell you something. The word sinful doesn't even appear in the text. If you translate epithemia, all it means is over-desire. Now, here's what he's trying to say. Your over-desires. He's trying to say, typically, when you think of the things that war against your soul, what do you think of? Well, you typically think of you're drinking too much or you're having sex outside your marriage or you're breaking the rules. Maybe you're embezzling funds. You, think of, you immediately think of some sin. You're thinking of Christian ethics. But I'm telling you, that's not necessarily what Peter's talking about because sinful doesn't even appear in the text. An over-desire, epithemia, could be something which is good. It's not morally wrong. It might even be good, but it's too important to you. It's become an over-desire. It's become something that's now driving your life, and because it's driving your life, it's making you less than godly. Friends, you may follow a good thing, but it doesn't mean it's a God thing. Not every good thing in your life is a God thing. In fact, a good thing that becomes too important to you can become epithemia. Listen, the sin, the drinking, the sex, all that stuff, that's the easy stuff. That's the obvious stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about the stuff that you keep excusing. You know it's driving your life. You know it's even making you less than godly, but you do it anyway. It's something that grabs you. It's something that drives you. Now, you say, Pastor, how do I know that's happening to me? Well, if you notice that you start walking in the flesh, and then somebody says, well, how do I know I'm walking in the flesh? Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Jesus says, by your fruit, you'll know them. I don't have this scripture on the screen, but Jesus said the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Paul says against such things, there's no law because that's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I would ask you, that theology that's moving you, that, that good cause that's moving you, that thing that's moving you, has it made you more judgmental or less judgmental? Has it made you more frustrated or less? Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit or are you walking in your flesh? See, because a Christian is somebody who says, nothing will get in the way of my relationship with Jesus, who is the Christ, and they will battle in order to keep it that way. Now, friends, again, is there anything? Do you have any over-desires that are warring against your soul? Look, let me just close with this. Here's how you know that you're the real deal. Here's how you know that you're peculiar and holy. You look at your life and you ask yourself, have I awakened to Jesus personally? It's an internal test. Have I, have I come to trust him alone? Not in my good works, but just him. Do I know it's only grace? And has he done something within me? Has he shifted me? <laughs> have I fallen in love with Jesus so much that everything else 
just falls away by comparison. And then you ask, has it shifted me so much that others see it? It's the second test. For all my convictions and all my belief, how does it make me more loving? How does it make me more compassionate? Does my horse even notice it? And then, have others noticed it to the point that they're conflicted about it? They don't know what to do with it. I'm an enigma. I've seen that my life has become a ripple effect. Either they're biased against me or they're attracted to it. I don't know. And then finally, is there a fight in you that you really want to keep Jesus number one? Is there anything that's become so important to you that you're willing to lose your integrity for it? That's how you know you're giving up the fight. If you're compromising and you gotta deal with that. You gotta say, God, I've been given over to epithemia. Now guys, these are the safeguards. This is it. As you look at your life this January and say, how can this be different for me? Here's the safeguards that you'll set in your life as you are a royal priesthood, one with, with a peculiar access to God that makes you different and holy and godly. I pray that that's true in your life. Let me just close with this scripture because it's so appropriate for us. Peter says this, finally, for it is a time of judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's speaking of the fight there, isn't he? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what? To do good, to do good. Now, hey, before I lead us in a prayer of commitment, I just wanna remind you of some tools that we just wanna give you in order to help you to do exactly this, to entrust yourself to God and continue to do good. Number one, spend time with Jesus daily. That's why, again, I mentioned it at the beginning, we've been uh, giving you access to these prayer journals that have a Bible reading plan within them and they teach you how to pray. In fact, they give you daily prayer requests of things that are going on in the world. It's a powerful discipleship tool. You see the inside of this particular journal has lots of space uh, to write things down. Uh, the Bible reading plan will get you through the whole Bible in a year, New Testament twice, Psalms and Proverbs twice. It's powerful. You can order that uh, through North Point. Or there's lots of Bible reading plans that have been curated for you that we give out every year that are at a lower cost than the journal. If you just need a Bible reading plan, there's through the Bible, there's a chronological Bible reading plan, there's a thematic Bible reading plan. But boy, Get at the feet of Jesus and begin to spend time with him. You'll find he's changing you. Then, as it relates to your good deeds, I said I'd mention this to you. Tomorrow night at seven o'clock, we have a ministry connect that's happening. It's online. Uh, pastor Andrew, our pastor of missions, is going to be there. Uh, Tanya Nichols is going to be there. Now, again, I say it's tomorrow, seven. Uh, it's North Point Live, so just the same way you tune into our services, you'll tune in there. In fact, here's a picture of Andrew and Tanya when they were filming sort of the base talk of this. They're so excited about it, but then they're going to they're gonna help with the chat and answer questions and all sorts of things, so it's going to be powerful. So again, that's tomorrow night, seven o'clock. Guys, again, there are men's and women's studies. There's ways to connect to grow in your faith. We wanna get you connected to all this stuff. Make sure that you check out our webpage for all the information. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for each one that's been a part of this today. I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd bless them. I pray that you'd help them. 
Lord, we rebuke the enemy over the lives of the people watching. We ask, Father, that you would guard them, keep them safe, help them to be godly and mobilized for your service, that 2021 would be an incredible year. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.